Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. The theme for Season 3 is better. Better everything, from AI to being fairer, big ideas to body language, if it's important to being a fairer person, business or planet, an expert and I talked about it. What follows is an edited recording, as Mouthwash is a live show created just for Twitter spaces, so the quality is more conference call than podcast sound booths. Sponsors are really important to me, so please take a moment to visit Ecology. They planted a tree in the TBD forest for every live listener we had. And if you want to offset your carbon footprint, you can do that easily. Just nip to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and sign up. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Also, I was honoured to partner with and test out Spaces Dashboard, the helpful tool that's making it super easy to find great audio on Twitter. Check them out on Twitter at Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and mount from Mouthwash for a surprise. Mouthwash is the audio show of TBD, the conference that people call TED without the bullshit. It's going hybrid March 31st, 2022. So get your tickets for the in-person event or the global live stream at universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Use the code Mouthwash. You'll even get 25% off every ticket you buy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Sign up to the newsletter on my Twitter profile. That's Paul underscore underscore Armstrong. And you'll get informed about all future seasons of Mouthwash. Trust me, you'll want to hear what we have coming up. Finally, as with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season three of Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. That's the conference attendees say is like TED without the BS. It is a strange time around the world. We've got Zoom fatigue to climate change, the great resignation to the metaverse. A lot seems scary, unfamiliar, and people are rethinking everything from core beliefs to the way they work. A core theme seems to be emerging, though, a desire to improve and make things, including themselves, better. So that's the theme for season three, better. Better everything, from AI to PR, body language to open innovation. I'll be speaking to massive brains and executives from the likes of Walmart to TikTok about making you and the world you live in a better place. Season three includes New York Times bestselling authors like Duff McDonald to security experts, speech coaches and Silicon Valley startups who want to reverse your aging process. It's going to be a great season, so make sure you get the SMS reminders so you don't miss a minute of it. I'll talk more about those later. Okay, let's get cracking. The smart cookie who I will be speaking to today is none other than the worldwide phenomenon, Sam Conniff. He's author of Be More Pirate and now creator director of something entirely different at the Uncertainty Experts. Welcome to the show, Sam. How are you doing? I'm smiling from ear to ear because I've never been called a worldwide phenomenon before, so I'm just, in, I'm just enjoying the sound of those words. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> I shall be updating my my Twitter bio in the <laughs> That's that's the bio to end all bio, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I can quote someone for saying it, so that makes it real, right? Exactly. That makes it completely legal and everything. Right. Before I chat more with Sam, let's talk about where we are and how you can get involved. Twitter Spaces, still a beta product from Twitter, but let's explore it a bit. Okay, so on the mobile app, the top bit where you're seeing the sort of DM me now using the hashtag and that sort of stuff, that's called the Nest. And that's where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones you're seeing up there already. Mouthwash uses this to discuss them in 
a section we call Desert Island Tweets. You can click through to follow accounts, links, pretty much anything you want. It's pretty handy and a unique feature to Twitter spaces that people are desperately trying to copy. Um, you can see all your beautiful faces and all the speakers there at the top. Spaces now allow up to 12 speakers at a time, including you and a co-host. So you can have a really good chat with multiple voices. If you want to request the mic in any space you're in, just do so by clicking the mic in the bottom left. Although Mouthwash is a bit more of a show format, so we actually take questions in two ways, via a hashtag, Mouthwash Show, or just DM me and I'll do my best to get to it as well. Um, click it in the title if you want to save your fingers some tapping. Twitter's also recently introduced a slew of monetization features, so you know they're serious about spaces and it's probably time you give them a go. If you look at the top right of your phone screens, you'll see some icons, dots, peoples, hearts, etc. The dots are where all the settings are and you can turn on captions and other accessibility features as well. So they're thinking about everyone. Right. OK, time to do a bit of work. Um, it is eight o'clock after all. Uh, share out the space if you do me a favour. So Twitter's already um, probably showing you an easy way to tweet about the space or simply just click the staple with the arrow pointing up bottom right of your phone screens and choose a platform of your choice. Anything you want. Just let the world know that you found something great. OK, um, the world's relying on you, actually, because every person you entice into the space, actually, we're going to plant the tree. And that's courtesy of the smart cookies from Ecology. Um, thanks to Ecology, TBD has now planted over 10,000 trees and it's kind of like a subscription for the planet. Um, when you sign up to Ecology, you can grow a forest of your own, add to the TBD one, and reduce your own carbon footprint through the verified gold standard climate solutions. Uh, you also get a personal profile, you can track your own impact, uh, set low carbon goals, and you watch your forest grow. It's really cool. Um, you can join Ecology as they work to reduce the half uh, world emissions by 2040 through collective action. Um, sign up today at Ecology dot com forward slash tbd conference that's e-c-o-l-o-g-i dot com forward slash tbd conference okay mouthwash also now proudly sponsored by spaces dashboard who provide a new fast and easy way to see all the latest live and upcoming and past conversations on twitter spaces um uh, what's really good about them is if you want to try it out for yourself, you can simply follow them on Twitter, which is Spaces Dashboard, to get yourself an invite. Um, brilliant. Okay, doke. right. Now, before we do that, so make sure you've shared the space. I'll be checking afterwards and that sort of stuff. Um, time to shower Sam in a frankly disgusting amount of emojis. Click the heart with a plus and begin tapping furiously while I tell you more about Sam. And please don't stop until the end, all right? So heart with the plus by it, click it, choose whichever ones you want, rain it down on him, all right? So if you're ready, Steady, go. Sam's a doer, okay? He's a fan of doing business differently. Sam wants to see changes in the world, whether you're a brand, politician, young person, or anything else. And especially with his new product, anyone in the damn world needs to do some change. Many know Sam for his writing of Be More Pirate, the international bestseller, and he's quoted in as many boardrooms to bedrooms, and the book has done incredibly well in multiple languages and everything. I urge you to buy a copy of it. Sam's not always been an author. He started out as a chef and creating raves, not usually in the same shift. He then set up Don't Panic, a content studio, and Liberty, the award-winning creative agency focused around young people. Sam is a huge supporter of young people in the UK and has been recognised many times around it and throughout his work with his NGO, Dig Digify Africa. While working as a consultant for the likes of Red Bull, Mercedes, Rolex, he's also got into professional rule-breaking. He's created TV shows, launched movements, and is about to scientifically make you more okay with uncertainty through his new project, Uncertainty Experts. Sam, it's a pleasure to have you here. What was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? And don't forget to take yourself off of mute. I, the first thing I thought about this morning was that whether or not I still had blood all over my face from Halloween yesterday. 
uh, and the answer was I did, which made quite a terrifying sight for my daughter's uh, first thing this morning. Uh, and what did you go as? Uh, a pirate. Of course, of course, of course, of course. Um, what what else did you go as? And we get to choose what each other are going to have to dress up as, so it's a bit of a challenge. And then my youngest daughter made me a zombie pirate, so that was, that was a gift. <laughs> I love it. Um, right. I started with the first season of Mouthwash saying, like, how has the last 12 months been for you? And now I've had to go up to how the last 24 months been for you. So uh, it's usually my first question. So uh, with that in mind, how have the last 24 months been for you? A incredible gift if I'm on a good day and an absolute disaster movie that I uh, didn't ask to be starring in on a bad day. Um, it's a real set of paradoxes I think uh, and I know that's the case for lots of people so I'm not trying to um, bemoan it but I am trying hard to find the benefits out of it yeah no I think a lot of people are definitely uh, in that and I, I want to talk about more about that later um, before we talk about the new project uncertainty experts I want to talk about piracy um, for those who haven't read it yet be more pirate um, can you say why you wrote it and what the message behind it is um, I wrote Thank God I did. I, 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 was, I was trying to pretend to be a grown-up. I was leaving Liberty. I'd always said that I would leave Liberty when I got old, and it was a, 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 an organisation that we made dedicated to providing benefits and platforms to young people. And I'd started it in my 20s, and so in my naive, ah, let's say, in my arrogance in my 20s, I said I'd leave when I was 40, because at the time that seemed like, you know, the other side of the world. Um, and 40 was rolling around, and I felt like I'd done all I could do and, and a mentor of mine pointed out perhaps that I was beginning to tread water a little bit and and so I started a book as a kind of escape vehicle and I mean that in a, in a, in a very positive way something that would like an affair like a, like a good affair if, if there's such a thing like a, such a distraction I knew I would get occupied because I knew there was no other way out of liberty I was so in love and I still am with that organization that's many young people and all of its the adventures it took me on the gifts it gave me those those kids taught me more than anything else in the world so I needed something pretty a strong gravity um, and I thought the kind of book was the kind of next thing you should do and, mm. and kind of a grown-up thing to do and I've always lived by that moniker of uh, if you want to know what you should do next you should know what scares you most and as a dyslexic non-academic with a chip on his shoulder about anything kind of you know remotely uh, academic I, I figured that scared me and so I, I began the process of writing a really boring book called Purpose First and it was about all I'd learnt in boardrooms and consulting positions about purpose-driven businesses, the shift from ethical business to sustainability and what I thought the future of that whole space was truly going to be. And it was deadly boring. <laughs> I got 20,000 <laughs> words in. I got a book deal and it was just, you know, and I was workshopping it with some of the smart young entrepreneurs that I've given, you know, uh, got so much from working with and given so much of my uh, career to mentoring. And they were just like, what's happened to you, granddad? Like, where's all, where's all the rocket ships and pirates and the stuff that you usually talk about? And I went back to my desk with a little post-it note and said, where's all the pirates? And, and I thought, why do I always use pirates as a, as a, as a euphemism for you know, the kind of change that I think is needed? And I began researching the true story of the golden age of pirates because I felt like we were missing the role models we needed. And I was gobsmacked to find out that they weren't just the kind of pirates that me and many others cite. There was a whole other story altogether lying beneath mm. the surface and, and I just couldn't believe that, that we don't know the true story of the golden age of pirates. Mm. 
Real answer. Were you surprised by its success? It's it's been incredible. It's been phenomenal, and sort of you know you you created a movement from it. But were you always you know did you always know that like yeah people are going to get this? I get it. No, no. I I have you know deep, uh, and I'm and I'm sure everybody on the call does. Uh, so it's nice to meet you all. I share the same imposter syndrome that that, that we all do. And no, um, and it was worsened because I was going through a period of quite profound volatility in my own personal life, I was going through a separation and uh, and it mirrored partly in a way the, the me leaving Liberty where a lot of my kind of ego and identity was caught up. So no, the trappings and the, and the fear of it failing were very, very loomed, very large in my life. Mm. And, and I think, you know, that paranoia, you know, sometimes they say there's a healthy paranoia, if that's true, I think that did feed into its success. Um, but no, I was scared, man, really scared in, in that moment. The only, the only thing people would tell you reliably about books is they don't make any money. <laughs> and and no, no one explains how they can or, or do. Um, so no, when it started to really get... I, the, the real honest truth is I hid from its success. I couldn't look at it. I would get all these messages from people saying what they'd done in their lives. And I I couldn't quite take the responsibility for it. I began to put them all in a in a inbox. So I created a folder and, and kind of actively ignore it for a few months. It was it scared me a lot. Mm. Um, I, I I especially liked in the book how it encourages the reader to create their own pirate code at the end. I love books like that who are like they'll tell you something, but then they're like give you practical steps to actually how to do it. Um, I remember yours ranged from making shit up. That's always my favourite one um, to taking happiness seriously. Um, you wrote it in what 2018 so how's your code evolved since writing the book has it um yeah it has i i have a pirate code now with alex barker who's the, the new captain and she took over from me we co-authored the sequel um and and that's become really defining and now i have a new uh, partner in crime in a project that i'm working on um on uncertainty experts catherine a scientist and we have a we have a code too and it's incredibly useful. And, and the, the two new codes are very much defined by having one another's backs about um, a, a, an uncomfortable level of proactive honesty and sharing, uh, never forgetting the reason why we're doing what we're doing, you know, the purpose. Uh, the sense that, that one about taking happiness seriously has had a, an upgrade, and it's the fun. You know, life just feels so short right now and so fast. Mm. Um, and then the one that's not in that list before is um, about learning. I have enjoyed. I, I didn't realise how much I was treading a familiar pattern. You know, there's always stuff to learn and uh, lots of new experience. But I, I've forgotten how much I loved learning. And this this new process, like the the, the level of research, you know, that thing when your brain he feels like it's heating up, and actually there's more information. I missed that. And so to always be learning again has definitely made its way onto the code. Mm. So you mentioned that you've um, handed over the reins. What's next for Be More Pirate? And for those who love podcasts, um, they do have a great podcast as well. So make sure you check that out. Thanks very much. Um, it felt so right. Alex has just kind of grown. She, I, I, I advertised for a right-hand pirate. And I was kind of looking for a community manager slash PA because I, I'd begun to look into this, this kind of scary inbox of people around the world taking action on the book. And... Uh, Alex came aboard challenging me. She, she really, she wasn't sure, excuse me, if the book was like bluster and, and marketing and, and we just got on immediately and she formed that community into something that's really, that, you know, that deserves the title movement. And 
and so it just became really clear very early on that I was going to hand over to this remarkable young woman who had a very, very clear idea and vision of where it goes. Um, the podcast is doing really well. The community regular meetups are phenomenal. And um, there's some big topics. They've decided, classic Alex, you know, I'll try and boil it, boil the ocean. Alex will say, right, we're going to do two or three things and do them really well. Uh, the biggest cohorts of, of pirate gatherings have been uh, in education and in healthcare. So there's a huge drive, but Beyond Pirates is now one of the seven innovation pillars within the National Health Service. Um, and so she's really taking that and running with it. And there's a load of work they're doing with head teachers, teachers, and all sorts of different education institutions. And she's just going through the qualifications of coaching. So she's becoming a pirate coach. And there's a couple of really, really big firms um, that she's doing some pretty extraordinary work. I just checked in on one of the projects with Salesforce. And and it's at multiple levels in an organization like that. And we checked in with a client, a real-life client they're working with. They'd used it as an innovation framework with that client. They came back and did their case study back to us. And then it's rolling out within the business. So it's really, it's like it's like watching a child who's gone to university and like is now an adult and, and has had their own life and tells you the stories about what they do. You don't, you know, you're just immensely proud. But it really does have a life of its own, um, <laughs> which is crazy and uh, inspiring I think she's she's uh, very lucky that, that Alex came along she's the captain for the job very cool very cool um right okay so let's talk about um the title of today's show uh, uncertainty tell me about uncertainty experts your new products uh, as I've, I'm sorry, I should probably start off by saying before we go on, I've gone through the course and paid for it when Sam was testing it. Um, it was an intense experience, but it was incredibly rewarding. Um, I learned a lot about myself through it. Uh, I felt more positive about the world and the future at a critical time for me. Um, generally, I think what I most liked about it was that it was different. Uh, and I felt like I was investing in something that was far greater than me. Um, and I liked the scientific approach sort of behind it. That disclaimer aside, it's an interactive documentary, which most people go, what? Um, but it's designed to help people um, develop skills and perspectives for tackling uncertainty. Um, it features incredible guests, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But the biggest part of it is there's lots of science behind it and scientific tests and there's rigor. It, it, all I can say is it's different, right? Sam, is that a fair description? What did I miss out? No, I loved, I loved it. Thank you very much indeed. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one of these days I'm going to invent something that's like really clear and, and straightforward, but this is not <laughs> it. <laughs> um, I'm pretty convinced that we're having a hard time coming up with solutions that are the same size, if not bigger than the problems we've got. And uh, it's like, kind of, I feel like a lot of us are walking around thinking that things can't possibly be this bad because surely someone would stop us, you know, uh, bringing an end to our, to, to, the, to some of the systems and institutions that we know and love so dearly, like, you know, from, from the climate and ecological absolute uh, crisis um, that we collectively as a, as a global consciousness face, but particularly people in the global south are already suffering disastrously from, uh, to the kind of impending uh, economic woes that many different societies and countries are feeling um, that look likely to worsen, and the political. I mean, and by the political woes, I mean kind of the, the, the erosion or weakening of democracy in its true forms and, and, and quite how infiltrated that's been at many different levels. So once again, in all of these situations, the same people seem to win and the same people seem to lose. And, and I struggle with that. I struggle with someone who is you know, obsessed and interested by solutions and how you help and what's the... And this word's got, got a bit of a change to it this week hasn't it but what's the meta solution you know how do you do mm -hmm. something that, 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 that joins these things up and 
it was in uncertainty in, in the looking into the meaning of it and looking into what sits within it and the response that it has within people that suddenly just felt like there was this really clear golden thread and the uncertainty of the world that's, that's thought to be at its highest ever in, in humankind's history um but then i think that's relative uh is this driver of innovation is this moment you know that, that, that trips us into this next gear and these great achievements of humankind come from profound moments of uncertainty so that just question began to puzzle me if if all of this uncertainty is 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 causing such an issue like and it sits behind the anxiety epidemic it sits behind the fra fragile economies it sits behind i mean so many of the challenges we face but it can unlock all this positive potential then wait a minute you know, if we were to face into these things, if we were to know deeply that that would not just make us stronger, but make us more likelier to overcome them, then then there's something interesting going on here. Um, and that was kind of the question at the beginning of it. And the science, it was very personal. My my world fell apart pretty abruptly. The, 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 the career I'd forged as an author very much relied on travel and, and rooms full of people breathing on them basically and that wasn't a very covid covid resilient business model <laughs> um, and and looking for leadership looking for someone who had the honesty and the nerve to say we don't know what to do in the situation or even say we have not adequately prepared for the situation yeah. or the, the the courage to say this could make things better there is going to be some tragedy and some loss, but in tragedy and loss, human beings can't, you know, there was just no one on that footing. And it just really, to me, shone a light on the kind of 20th century dynamic of leadership that has to set out a very clear vision, which isn't held to account by media, but is kind of uh, uh, unable to, to speak the truth. And, and I just looked at those podiums, I looked at those daily briefings every day and thought this this is not the level of leadership which is going to get us out of the bigger messes that we're in and this talk of crisis begets the truth that we are in a crisis in a crisis in a crisis in an interconnected crisis and if we're going to think small again we are not living up to our potential or or, or our responsibilities mm. and in that frustrated moment i was also you know without any work and so i was volunteering my time to mentor young businesses young entrepreneurs and that there was just all the resilience, all the creativity that, that I, I saw on lacking elsewhere. And I've always worked in the criminal justice system, done a lot of work on entrepreneurship in prisons. And those guys were just, you know, they were flying. They were bouncing ideas. You know, they didn't have to shut their businesses like overnight. They were just, and, and so I started asking, and it was a bit trite, and I was worried at, at, at first, asking some of the lads that I know who did fairly long sentences um, before changing their lives and starting brilliant businesses and becoming pillars of the community. Uh, what their advice was for people like me who hadn't been inside but going through lockdown and, and feeling a bit like we were losing it. And they just gave me such great advice. And I wrote it up in an article, called them uncertainty experts, didn't give it that much thought. And then the piece went viral. And uh, I just was getting responses from all around the world. about like, oh, the uncertainty experts, such a great idea. And I thought, well, it isn't really an idea. But then I just started interviewing people who, you know, whose daily lives are uncertainty. And in the UK, which is where I began the research, they found there were 480,000 refugees, there's 12 million people living in poverty, there's 1.8 million single parents, there's 236,000 children who are in gangs. I mean, there's people for whom just getting to the end of the week is perilous uncertainty. And I started interviewing ex-refugees, ex-prisoners, ex-drug addicts. My definition was they had to have had a prolonged exposure to uncertainty that it considerably rewired their thinking. 
But with that new thinking, they've crossed from the shadows of uncertainty and become leading lights in society, and they used the same strategies. So they've had this dual success, because it's, you know, it is tough running a gang, or being a smuggler, or, or, or having to traverse through different countries trying to survive. Um, and then they become CEOs, or they become head teachers, or they become healers, or they become specialists, and they were using the same techniques. Well, then, then something had to give, right? This wasn't just survivor bias. And that was it. Once the, and then the cohort started forming. And, and I was being sent suggestions and these incredible stories. And I was interviewing people in, in Iraq and in Pakistan and in um, Africa and all over the UK. And the consistency of their, their success, the consistency of the frameworks that they used was just so clear. Uh, it became very clear that I had something that could, could help. But at that mm. point, it was still just stories. I, I had no knowledge of the neurology or psychology that sat behind it but i had some fantastic stories and i began to have a uh, a creative project and i began to kind of get over the uncertainty of my own life because the advice they gave me was so profound and yeah i'd, I'd be completely honest and say that by the end of last year i felt like those uncertainty experts had bloody saved me um that's an in i want to talk about the um interviews you do but it's not just interviews though there's real science behind it why did you go the science route i.e proving it um why was that important to you because it, it could it was all amazing content it could have lived on its own uh, the the imposter and thanks man thanks for the kind words i really appreciate it and i'm really glad i don't know the detail there but that it, it helped you at a, a particular moment as well so thank you for saying so and thank you for the support um uh, imposter syndrome again you know, same thing. I just didn't really believe it was going to work. I, I knew I was on something. I knew the consistency of these stories was really interesting. I was workshopping it quite a lot. And I was seeing people leave saying, you know, this, that was amazing. This was unlike anything else I've been through. And I was getting people to give me a score at the beginning of the end. How ready do you feel about turning uncertainty into opportunity? And then we we kind of had these rough and ready sessions that were, I was just kind of trying to work out what I had. And, and the score really jumped. Like every single time I did it, it was really big, really big uptick. It was just a one to ten self-scored metric. So I knew it wasn't like robust science or anything. But I kept measuring it, kept thinking about it. And I was trying to find something that would make convince me that this was real, right? That was the imposter in it. And it was just, basically, oh, it's just your force of nature. Or it's just because they're good stories. Or it's just whatever. Like, and, and so I tried, I was reading quite a lot about complexity science. That felt like it might help me explain these stories and why they link together. And that might make it more useful for other people. So I presented it in this really big forum. And there's a scientist there called Catherine Templar-Lewis. And she uh, just, she said, do you, you, do you know why this works? And she began a journey of explanation. One of, the, one of the experts themselves is a scientist. And she kind of got me onto it. Um, and then Catherine just, she broke it down for me. She's a, she has three masters, so she's a bit of a planet brain anyway. Um, one in behavioral psychology, one in, I think, in neuroscience. She's a neuroscience specialist. And she just began to explain why it worked and what didn't work. And she started to explain to me some of these big measures that there are in the world. If there's a thing called need for closure scale. And uh, she explained to me the, the, the idea of the brain as a prediction engine and all it's doing all the time is just trying to keep you alive. And that's why uncertainty is seen as a threat. But it's also why uncertainty can suddenly drive innovation because it updates the predictive patterns of the brain and these were things that you know i had never heard of like what's going on she introduced me to the idea of embodied cognition this radical idea in cognitive science that you truly have two not not two brains obviously but two decision making centers of equal accuracy um and that these things can work in in, in harmony and that's one of the ways that people navigate through uncertainty because there isn't rational information that we're used to so you actually do rely on your instincts and it was just i mean it was so exciting, like I say, this feeling of learning again. 
and she has a passion for science communication and a really intense curiosity. I don't know whether you whether you listened to any of it, but what I did during the pilot was I shared the voice notes that, that between us, which had been researched because we were in lockdown, and and it just clicked. You know, when you have those those rare moments in life when suddenly, oh right, that works, that makes sense. I get it. And I get it moment. I wanted to give the audience that I get it moment that I got from Catherine. So that's why she comes on the journey with me so much. And that, that and, and the the act of the technology and the interactivity, and then the science that sits behind it, and then these stories. Suddenly, we were onto something with this cocktail, and that's why I, I set the pilot because I was basically I'd run out of money financially. Uh, my whole my friends. I was nearly looking at insolvency. I was looking at proper jobs. And yet I knew I had this project that was amazing. And so potentially, and so I just set the date for that pilot and said, I'm going to try and sell 500 tickets and what will be, will be. And mm-hmm. the researchers from UCL came and attached all those, 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 those assessments and measures to it. Um, I made it for, you know, just basically spent the last with kids savings on it. And it was like, right, do or die. Um, yeah. And, and you watched me, you know, sweat hard and nearly nearly fall over live on the internet over those three Tuesdays and thank you very much for being there. No worries, I, I do remember when you were doing it that you said you were breaking it but you were using one of my favourite tools at the moment mm-hmm. so I do love that, but probably a lot more tech as well. Um, one thing I did love that Catherine and um, anyone who's listened, I'll post a link to the SoundCloud um, things in the description and the nest in a second but um, Catherine Temple-Lewis she was the futurist that Sam was just talking about and creative scientist um, she talks about creating the space needed for change and that was something that really sort of resonated with me and I remember writing it down and underlining it because I just think clients never have that you know that, certainly the ones I've worked with but also when people are out there they go oh I've got to change and they go oh I've got to do these things but they don't think about how much time it takes and what they've got to do in order to do that um, she's just one of the people that is on the sort of I call it your army but I know I shouldn't use um, uh I call it military terms anymore in business. Um, but it, the experts you created and curated rather um, and interviewed, they were as interesting and, uh, as they were challenging. I remember you've got what, prisoners of war uh, people to gang leaders, that's Carl Loco. Um, and then you've also got people who have transitioned genders and people who treat shyness as a superpower. It was a really complex array of issues, personalities and experiences how did you go about finding those people? Like, is there just a list of people to do with uncertainty? I assume not, but... Uh, no, no, there's not. Um, one, the first round of them kind of came from my extended network and because I've done quite a lot of work with marginalised groups and um, that that kind of got me so far. Um, and then when we knew, okay, actually this needs to go further, I wanted a bit of a, I wanted a bit of a TV mindset. And so I went and found a researcher who used to work on reality TV shows. And you know how they will work quite hard to make sure they get just the right chemistry for someone on a reality TV show, you know, someone who's yeah. just bonkers enough kind of thing. Um, she fell in love with the project. And so we, it was really, really clear on, you know, the, the long-term benefit of this is impact. I want to really help people. This is a psychological intervention. This is how it's been designed. But at the same time, uh, many successful psychological innovations come with a taboo, even like, you know, pretty mainstream things like CBT. CBT, CBT still has a bit of a taboo around it. So I want to create yeah. a mainstream, accessible entertainment format that has the benefits of a psychological intervention. Can you help me find some really A-list characters that are going to you know, make people want to stop, sit down? And, as you know, I'm trying to compete with a Netflix-quality 
I want to sit down and watch this whole series kind of mindset. Um, and it turned out she was just a genius. She's really got it. And she went away and helped me, you know, amass that almighty cast uh, of brilliant people. And then, you know, it wasn't everyone's cup of tea in there. And I was trying, it's deliberately supposed to be challenging. And, yeah. and so you're not supposed to love every single character. Uh, but it's really interesting seeing the relationships that people do and don't form with different characters, the ones that really resonate with people, the ones that people find quite uncomfortable. Uh, and yeah, I've come to love them all. Yeah, I think on that, that edge, Morgan um, Godwin, uh, who's trained to become a lawyer after being a heroin addict and sentenced to 20 years in prison, um, many might have dismissed Morgan for her previous mistakes. Um, why did you choose to include Morgan in Uncertainty Experts? Um, yeah, Morgan is is quite something. I I predict we'll hear a lot of Morgan Godwin. There was something just immediately about her, uh, her the way she positions herself in the world. There is a, mm-hmm. a woman of such sharp focus and clarity. Yeah, she has the trapping of whatever she wanted to put herself to. I think will she'll she'll find success, and and she was just impressive, like from day dot, um, and. That story of hers, I mean, it says everything you've just said, but the, the, the additional twist of the tragedy is when she was using drugs. After a period of depression, she was discharged from the, from the, from the army. Her family had fallen apart after her mother had got into a lot of trouble. Um, so she'd, been, she'd seen a lot, but then while she was using drugs, when she gave her best friend, she wasn't a dealer, but she gave her best friend some of her drugs, uh, and he died. And she was sent to prison for, the, for, for his death. And, and reconciling that in addition to a 20-year sentence. And w- the first thing I saw of hers when the researcher had found her was an article that she'd written uh, in which she talks about radical gratitude. And I, 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 the approach that she took was so profoundly achievable. And, and, and even at that early stage, I understood what it was doing slightly scientifically. And yet it came from this woman who'd seen like the jaws of, 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 of hell, basically, and... And that's what I wanted. I wanted stories that stopped you in your tracks, but people who had stuff that you could take away and use. You know, she's not supposed to be daunting by her story being so uh, overwhelming. And then she just provides you with this strategy. That, yes, she learns it in these extreme conditions, but you can put it into place tomorrow at work, you know, mm. or, or Sunday night worrying about the week ahead or like the real moments of uncertainty that actually are, are, are bothering most of us. And that's yeah. you know, something I was looking for in all of these stories. And, and she did it so, so well. I remember just her being incredibly articulate and another woman um, who was there as well, um, I remember being particularly moved by her was Dr. Vivian Ming, who um, became one of the world's leading computational neuroscientists after contemplating suicide. That alone was just like, Jesus, how how do you do that? You know, what what, what do you have to overcome to do that? But I think... um, she was one of the more resilient people on the course. She's also transitioned genders and she's run five companies. And now she's researching AI systems to treat her diabetic son and predict like manic episodes for bipolar sufferers. It was just like a complete sort of 180 about what you would think that person would be like and what they would be doing and that. Um, why did you choose her? I mean, Dr. Ming is is extraordinary. And, and uh, Dr. Ming is slightly exhausting, actually. I follow her on all of her various... Um, Socials. I don't know how I asked her this the other day. I don't know how she gets so much done, but she does. Mm. Um, I I wanted to have the breadth of uh, characters. I wanted to have people that would appeal to everyone. I thought the way she talks about gender transition, she she tells it. It's almost a romantic tale, you know, that she's alone. She's with her partner one night, 
when they're engaged to be married and she reveals her dark secret is that she, she always wanted to be a woman and, and her partner stays with her and they get married once she's gone through gender transition they have a family and she speaks of love and she speaks of this love that supported her and it, and it was what got her out of this lifelong depression and, and one of her lines is she said and I was just dead wrong I did get to be happy mm. and you know she could happily talk about the millions of data sets that she uses for companies from Amazon to wherever and how she changes the world for millions of people but she just told this love story and I just yeah I was so moved by it and and then she's just bloody hardcore like there's not a line that she doesn't finish with some pretty prophetic aphorism that, that you want to write on your wall um, she's just a gifted public speaker and a really strong strong character and for the section I knew once Catherine had explained to me it, it, much like Morgan once Catherine had explained to me the sympathetic nervous system versus the parasympathetic nervous system and how fight or flight classic response to, to, to fear and the autonomic response to uncertainty can be regulated by uh, engaging the parasympathetic nervous system. So Morgan's strategy of radical gratitude in forcing herself to be grateful for things that she'd take for granted. She stimulated the rest and digest response, which enabled her to not panic through um, prison. And I was looking for sim someone similar that did the much more complex uh, challenge of prediction processing this idea of the brain as a prediction machine and when dr ming started telling her story about how she updated her worldview you're like oh great you know this is it and that was an interesting bit for me for the storytelling because i had to make sure i was doing the science justice and getting my head around the concepts and then i was looking for characters who i could wrap around those stories in ways that would help you know a, a, a ordinary person both you know, take an amazing story and then take a scientific concept and then at the end of it be able to turn all of that on themselves so yeah, they, they, I needed vehicles for those stories. And when I saw Dr. Ming, it was pretty clear that she was able to, going to be able to communicate quite a lot. Mm. I think it's interesting that you've mentioned already um, going from things like drug addiction to transgenderism all the way through to like people who are now doing things where it's, you know, with the legal system or they're working in Buddhism and that sort of stuff. I think for a lot of people, it found them at the right time and they needed to hear from different um viewpoints and also people that they've never heard of um for me i think it found me at the right time after a friend died which just caught everybody by surprise it wasn't covid um i learned a lot about interoception um about being anti-fragile that was the biggest one i think for me um what, what's your biggest learning while creating uncertainty experts um i'm sorry for your loss and i'm glad it helped uh, i i know like you say many people were going through various things and it there's a sad amount of um, loss amongst the audience. I heard many stories, um, and again felt pretty moved that it had been able to been able to help people going through that. But I kind of think we're all on the edge of this. I think we're all on the edge of of the fear or the sense of grief. There's a lot going on you know, presently. My, I'm quite fixated uh, on climate, reading a lot a lot about COP. 26 and quite fearful for what the results of it are going to be and I mm. find it hard as I know lots of people do with, with kids looking away from those kids and thinking about the questions they will ask and then you know and then you've got to get up tomorrow and just get back to work and do what you're doing and I think this kind of growing sense this dichotomy of what we do in our days and how good is that for the world in which we're inhabiting this kind of fear that am I really part of the problem and if I'm you know, not actively 
working towards the solution you know, as, as this speeds up. And so whether it's immediate losses that we face, the fears of the future, the pain of the past, uh, the, the, the last 18 <laughs> months and what it's kind of shown us, the right stuff seems to be clear, right? What's important, the, the connection, the sense of community, well, that's been made damn well obvious that there isn't really a game plan, <laughs> that there is no one driving the bus. And we're all pretty scared to, to walk around with that truth on a daily basis and hold it close to us. And, and this project has allowed me to stay closer to that. And so, yes, there's lots of the individual concepts um, that appeal to me greatly. But my over, overarching one is that my, my tolerance for uncertainty to be able to sit with these difficult things that I want to be part of the solution towards has increased. And I can still feel that same trigger, that still reflect, like, oh, that's a bit too big. <laughs> oh, that's a bit too scary. Oh, sorry, my carbon footprint probably is pretty terrifying. Uh, and no, wait a minute. I can sit with this difficult thing longer than I thought I could. And, and, and in this space, I feel much more confident that creativity can come. I'm not trying to get to the quick fixes that have defined my life, that this nasty, ambiguous... <laughs> uncomfortable space of admission and, and reflection is somewhere that I choose to spend longer and mm -hmm. I know the benefits are here. And so that's, yeah, a big shift in, a, in, in someone whose life has been very geared towards, you know, a, a, an internal savior complex. I, I agree with that. I, th I think your statement about sort of standing where you are and that sort of thing resonated for a lot of people when I saw the results because you were very kind to give everybody the results, obviously anonymized and that sort of thing. Um, you know, a lot of people were thinking of quitting. They were arguing with people more drinking too much and starting new businesses. A lot were just burnt out and that sort of stuff. But most were really avoiding things. That was that's what I read from it yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing um, going around. You know, like you said, there are big things you don't want to. You, know, you think you can't handle, you think you can't have a sort of um, a point of view on or it's dangerous to in some sort of ways. I think I, I figured out why I was avoiding certain things and how to fix that. And that's helped me push a lot of things over the line, change directions on a lot of things and that. But um, did anything surprise you about the results? Um, that we got any? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot. I mean, the the Dr. Bilovich, the PhD, the researcher, well, it was a funny day. He gave me the first set of results, right? And it's just a series of bloody numbers, the PANAS score, the need for closure scale. He told me through them and he got off the call and I sent him a note saying, thanks so much for all your hard work. To be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed. And he called me back and he's like, don't be disappointed. Like, he's just his deadpan academic delivery. He's like, this is amazing. You've, got, you've statistically significant positive increase across three measures of a psychological intervention. Like that doesn't happen, especially not when you're just... You've just made this up. Um, so I was really proud, really proud to have had the rigor. We ran it against control groups. You know, it was a, genuinely, it was a scientific experiment. And, and so that surprised me. The, well, the step, yes, 90% of the audience talked about very clearly avoidant behaviors, both the, the, the conscious and the subconscious ones. I think the stat that's come away most that moves me, that I really like, is when we asked in the first episode, I think it's Carl talking about fears, and uh, the we talked about what's your greatest fear, and fear of failure was, I think it was like 76% of the cohort said fear of failure. And that's really, really understandable, and I'm totally, I, I recognize that in myself. But then at the end, remember we met John Peters, the prisoner of war, and he was talking about the regrets that you don't want to have in life, and so everyone was encouraged to, to imagine themselves in the future and say the regret that they least wanted to have 
And 86% of people said the regret they least wanted to have was missed opportunity. And and that, you know, those two things are obviously clearly linked, right? Because not many things are going to lead to missed opportunity more than a fear of failure. And did fear of failure, did failure come up in things that people didn't want to regret? Not at all. Like 5% of people said they, they might worry about uh, failure in their life. So that shift alone, like the number one negative impact of uncertainty is fear. Fear is with us and fear is so a natural protection system, but so unhelpful when it gets in the way. Mm. And, and if we, we were able to reframe fear a little bit, that made me really happy. That made me think there's something you know we can do an awful lot with that. And that, that, that insight alone has driven a lot of the updates that we've made to this uh, series. And by the end of it, that the very last question that the Buddhist guy you're mentioning asks, you know, what is your new relationship with uncertainty? Like 98% of the entire cohort says it's going to be something positive. And they use such glorious and lovely language that they're now going to dance with uncertainty and marry uncertainty in all sorts of like lovely ways of describing this new relationship they're going to have with the world around them. So, yeah, seeing that shift, man, that really, that's, that's what I'm driven by. And that made me really happy. Good. Um, almost time for Desert Island um, tweets. Um, when I think about uncertainty at the moment, I think about anti-vaxxers. You know, a lot of people say, I'm just not sure about what's in it and that sort of thing. It comes into trust and that. What would be your advice for having chats with anti-vaxxer friends or people online when it comes to, you know, that those sorts of topics? Jesus. Um, that's, that's, there's, there's a bit of that in my world at the moment. The... There's, there's lots of statistics around this with, uncer- with uncertainty. People with a low, a high, people who have a low tolerance for uncertainty do tend to uh, be swayed by populist politics and conspiracy theories uh, because they, they, they have a need for a quick answer. They need, they need an explanation. And so they don't do very well when things are complex, open-ended and ambiguous. And it's why things like Brexit happens, you know, that's why certain communities have a low tolerance for uncertainty and being told a message and I want an answer and I need it to be binary, give me a yes or give me a no. And the only way through that is to expand and increase your tolerance to uncertainty. And the best way of doing that is to spend time with people who violate your stereotypes, people who do disagree with you. And so my main, my first test would be, can I have a decent conversation? Can we have a conversation where we disagree and we share information and we consider one another's opinions? Because if you can't, then it's not really a conversation that's going to go so well. Then that person's tolerance for uncertainty is probably too low. What they're, they're, they're seeking answers where there might not be answers or they're, or they're deriving what they believe are the, are the results. But if mm-hmm. it is a conversation where there's information and there's knowledge and there's fairly, relatively reliable statistics, then I think it's really interesting. And then I've, I've had my opinion changed on one or two things because there's some interesting, um, has been shown it yesterday, uh, results around um, infection rates amongst you know, vaccinated people. And so, you know, it's right that questions should be asked, but there's a big difference between anti-vaxxer and, and you using that as a kind of proxy for conspiracy theory and concerned, interested individuals who think perhaps the situation might have not been run that well and, uh, you know, the questions should be asked. And they're polar opposites. So defining which end of the spectrum that we're at, I think, is the first part. And then seeing whether you can have a conversation which expands knowledge is the second part. And if you can, then great. We'll all, we'll all build our tolerance to uncertainty and hopefully learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, one last question. Um, what do we still not know about uncertainty? And do you think it's changing um, thanks to things like online communities and VR? I think we are getting better 
but the thing to really push on is uh, our ability at creatively managing the unknown is what has determined by my reckoning and reading uh, and I'm just starting to reread Sapiens um, is our relationship with uncertainty it's what drives human beings forward when we when we get certain, when we get safe, when we think we know everything, <laughs> we tend to go wrong, right? And, and here we are in this great and glorious moment of opportunity with extremes of technology, which we don't fully know the potential for them. We tend to oversell them. We tend to think this is going to, this thing will be the answer to everything. Um, and and yet there, there in the space, there in the bit in between, you know, our ability to stay there longer before we need to package it, productize it, monetize it, and then sell the fuck out of it. That's the bit I think we're missing. So whether it's whatever, you know, new technology you can point your finger at that suddenly feels like it's a bit passe from crypto to VR to whatever, you know, things we've been sold and sold a million times. In the interesting space of what could this become, that's the bit, the real unknown of it all, before it's just been packaged up and sold back to the other side of the bus. I, I think our ability to get better there is more important than anything else, more important than the new technology itself. Mm. Um, in fact, there's a lot of old technologies that we could be uh, spending more time with. It, it, but you know, I'm driven, my, my motivation is are we finding the opportunity in creating answers out of these things, not just more shit we don't need? Definitely a good sentiment, I think, um, for that. All right, plug time. How do people get involved? Apart from going to uncertaintyexperts.com, what do you want them to do? Um, you better be quick. So we're nearly out of tickets, um, which is great news because uh, there's lots, <laughs> there's lots that I haven't done yet for a show that starts next week. Um, but just come along, please. Um, you can get a ticket on certaintyexperts.com. The the measurements have been updated. There's, so there's a new set of evaluations which will go out, I think, on Saturday. So it's 72 hours before the show. Um, it's about 15 minutes of full-on assessments and metrics that you will have to uh, undertake. And then it comes to the show, and like Paul said, it's not it's not easy. I've been listening to some of the testimonials from the pilot the first time. People spoke about being you know, made to feel quite uncomfortable. They could be quite exhausted leading the session. Um, there's lots of content in between um, the episodes, some of the stuff that Paul mentioned, the full interviews with all the experts. So it's not just to sit on your bum and watch the sofa experience. It's uh, entertainment, sure, but it's educational. But the, the main... You know, we got like a the highest net promoter of anything I've ever worked on. Like nobody said they wouldn't recommend this thing, but the real reason for that isn't the storytelling. Uh, it's not the science. It's the people threw themselves into it. And so, if you're up for that, and if you're up for making some time and putting yourself into something, then I think we're on the cusp of something quite remarkable. And and then I would ask you to come along because what we're trying to build is the world's largest experiment in uncertainty. We're going to have a few thousand people come through this time, which will build on the metrics of last time. We're scoring everything again, and we're going to run it four times next year, all of which is being done in conjunction with uh, Dr. Milovic and his team from UCL. So we really hope to open source a very large piece of research next year about humans' response to uncertainty and how we can all cope with and handle it better and turn it into opportunity. So if you would like to be part of that, then we'd love to have you aboard. Very cool, very cool. Okay, folks, it is time for Sam's Desert Island Tweets, the part of Mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that has changed their mind or way of thinking in some way. I've actually picked um, two uh, for Sam, actually, but we'll, we'll do one at the moment. So, Sam, it's the George Manibot one. If you put your um, phone, you should be able to see it in the nest probably now. It says, please do not shop for Britain. Consumerism drives us forward an even greater crisis than the pandemic, the collapse of our life support systems. 
Why did you retweet this? What what moved you to do that? Um, I I really believe in that sentiment. I've got a really great uh, T-shirt on the front cover of the Sun, which is says a slightly ruder version. It just says "Keep fucking buying." Um, and I think separating our relationship with this is very key. The the moment there's probably nothing that defines our generation more than the notion of consumerism. Just going to check whether I really believe that statement. <laughs> probably. I mean, it probably is, right? That's what we are, this age. We are consumers. And I just have this strong feeling that that's not going to look, it's not going to look good on your, <laughs> on your CV. <laughs> Ten years from now, really, is it? Um, the biosphere capacity of this extraordinary planet is like 64% over its capacity. I mean, anything remotely consumerist is going to end up looking a little bit war crime-like in, in a decade. And and so I think uncoupling, decoupling, like consciously understanding the roles that are principal driver uh, of making stuff that makes money uh, and its effect and and, and, and it's alternative. And this is, I think, the real brief, like the real brief in business and advertising. Is how do we you know, continue this wonderful path we're on of, of creativity and entrepreneurship, uh, of making great and glorious things, of inventing new technologies, of, of traveling connection, and do it in a way that's good for us, like not in denial. And that doesn't mean just banging a sustainability strategy on it. It means a fucking rethink um, from the bottom to the top. So. Mm. It's not the same old people winning and losing every single time. It's a whole scale rethink that, you know, the bloody game's rigged. So following the rules is, is a surefire way to lose. Um, and I think it can be a bit divisive and, and dismantling when you start saying capitalism's bad. But I, I, thought he, uh, I thought he framed the point quite well. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, a good sentiment to leave the conversation on. Um, huge thanks for being part of Mouthwash, Sam. Any final thoughts or advice for the listeners when it comes to uncertainty and their daily lives? The annoying truth of uh, how to increase your uncertainty tolerance is like any treatment of any phobia. You need small doses of it. So if you feel, oh, there is a free test actually on the site. If you, you know, you can't make the show or you don't want to come. That's fine. Just on uncertaintyexpert.com, you can do a, it's a short form version of the full evaluation that we do in the series. And so you can get your uncertainty tolerance score and it'll give you some recommendations about how you can increase it. But the kind of the 101 of it all is just to add some uncertainty to your life. And to some people, there's some great examples came out. Some people, they've just started ordering things they've never had before on menus. Like, great. I mean, if that's what it takes, then, then brilliant. Other people just took all new routes to go and get to work and other people made conscious decisions to go and make friends with and begin relationships with people that they thought they actively disliked but could learn something from so whatever it is uh, that takes your fancy small but daily doses of uncertainty are guaranteed to build your resilience to uncertainty and in that the benefits are profound from in improved decision making to more open-mindedness to greater levels of empathy and resilience very, very cool. Okay, I've got another amazing cohort of people this season on Mouthwash. I've got Google Xers, security experts, entrepreneurs, designers, speechwriters, best-selling authors, big tech, Silicon Valley startups to watch all the way through to Walmart. If it's important to being a better person, planet or business, we're going to be talking about it. Up tomorrow is Martin Brooks. He's an expert in body language. He has a new set of cards out and he's also uh, an expert that's helped multiple um, celebrities as well. If you, want a if you want a text to remind you that Mouthwash 
Mouthwash is going live, say no more. Head over to mouthwashshow.com and the brilliant folks at Norby will text you when we're live. Trust me, you won't want to miss an episode. In fact, find out everything over at Mouthwash Show, uh, all the hashtag, hashtag, hashtag Mouthwash Show, um, including we've got newsletter, pre-filled calendar, jeepers, there's no excuse to really not tune in uh, every day. Once again, my thanks to the amazing Sam Conniff. Follow him on Twitter and get yourself on the course. Trust me, it might just change your life. Find out more at uncertaintyexperts.com. I'll be sending you out a link in the uh, Mouthwash newsletter as well. Once again, please shower him with emoji one more time as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thank you for joining us and thanks to the beautiful folks over at Ecology for planting a tree for every listener we get in season three. We've planted over 10,000 to date. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter space. Thank <laughs> you.